0: Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett, and this is science for people who give a shit. There's a lot going on out there. Our world is changing and being changed every single day, and you can take part in that change. That's why you're here. I talk to the smartest, most impactful people on the planet to provide you with the inspiration and tools you need to feel better and to fight for a better future for everyone. Our guests are scientists and journalists, doctors, nurses, engineers, farmers, policymakers, activists, educators, investors, business leaders, astronauts, even a reverend. If you want to be inspired to find out how to make radical change, hit the subscribe button right now to get even more conversations after this one, more stories and more tools you can use. You can also go backwards. Scroll through the feed or go to podcast.importantnotimportant.com, it's right in your show notes, to find over 100 evergreen episodes covering everything from clean energy to cancer and artificial intelligence to regenerative agriculture. Uh, We've got some starter episodes for you there, and also you can sort by category. In this week's conversation, I'm going to pull back the curtain on the mysteries of innovation, how it really works, and who really contributes to it how it can benefit more people, and how more people can be involved in affecting it. My guest is Christopher Mims, a journalist whose beat I love. It's one that asks big questions about the technological and societal issues of our time. It's a beat that is both evergreen and also very, very timely, as you'll see here. A reminder, you can send questions, feedback, or uh, guest recommendations to me on Twitter at ImportantNotImp. Or you can email me at questions at importantnotimportant.com. In the face of an escalating climate crisis, what does it mean to do our part? A Little Green is a short podcast series from Avocado Green Brands. Follow along as they demystify the questions many of us find ourselves asking these days and show how we can each challenge the status quo and become climate leaders in our own communities. Protecting our planet will take all of us. So let's dig in together. Find A Little Green wherever you listen to your podcasts or head to avocadomattress.com to learn more. My guest today is Christopher Mims. Uh, Together, we're going to explore and try to help me and you understand how... Uh, innovation really is works. It turns out across, uh, everything from your iPhone to supply chains. Uh, and it seems like it's a conversation that's really more timely than it's ever been. So, uh, excited to have Chris here because there's really nobody who follows this stuff more. Chris, welcome. Yeah.
1: Quinn, appreciate you having me.
0: Uh, for sure, man. Uh, if you could tell the people real quick who you are and what it is you do. So, I write a weekly column on
1: technology for the Wall Street Journal. And I've been doing that for seven years. So, I don't cover personal tech, but that means that I'll cover everything from, you know, brain implants to nuclear fusion. Uh, So, the world's kind of my playground, and I enjoy, you know, going outside my zone of comfort every week, hopefully.
0: Sure. I mean, that's the challenge, right? That's, uh, I feel like that is just so directly applicable. Maybe the most concise way someone's ever described what I try to do here, <laughs> which is like, you know, someone will say like, well, can can you consult on, you know, floodplain maps or, or reinsurance for this? I'm like, no, I cannot for sure. But I can talk generally, you know, and ask questions of like these these big topics that, uh, like you said, challenge myself and get outside my worldview because I try to almost like uh You know, Neo and the Matrix, the plug in the back of his head, like, and he's like, I know Kung Fu. Like, I try to get like a 301, at least a 201, maybe a 301 in every one of these conversations before I have them so that I can be relatively informed. So it's a little more of a conversation than an interview per se, but, um, it, you know, it's, it can be daunting for sure.
1: There's so much to know. <laughs> yeah. So much expertise in the world. <laughs> yeah, there's so much.
0: Yeah, there's nothing like being humbled all the time. Uh, that's what I tell my kids all the time. I'm like, D- Dad spends his whole day going like, I who who knows who can who can know. <laughs> um, awesome, man. Well, I I appreciate you sharing that, um, Chris. We like to start with one uh, a little bit tongue-in-cheek question, but eventually, after some cackling, you can get to something relatively profound, maybe. But we like to say instead of telling us your entire life story as as wonderful as i'm sure that is i like to ask chris why are you vital to the survival of the species um and i again i encourage you to be bold and honest because who, who can know man who can know
1: who can know i mean i i have some wonderful children so i first and foremost i think that uh you know i'm vital in uh raising you know future leaders of America or whatever it is they're going to do. That's number one, frankly. But number two, you know, I had a mentor in college who said that, you know, the way you find your path in life is at the intersection of what you're good at and what the world needs. And so as a journalist, I'm privileged to talk to a lot of people. And my goal always is to highlight the things that we should be talking about more and to try to simplify and make them accessible in a way that people can you know be more knowledgeable and have those conversations i'm very privileged to be i think one of the few journalists in america who is given the the time and the resources to do that because i've been on every side of the journalistic equation where you're just trying to pump out material for clicks I you know back in the day, way back in the day when people actually paid by the click, I had jobs as a freelancer where I would I would get paid that way. I would never oh, want to go back to that. So, yeah, being in a position to like really dig deep like it's just it, it, there's every time that I tackle a new issue, you know, I feel like I'm either retreading what other capable journalists have done and sort of bringing it to the Wall Street Journal audience because frankly that's a different audience <laughs> than a lot of other publications. Sure that i'm privileged to reach you know or i'm just trying to you know blaze a trail and 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 get at the things that people in an industry already know but the public doesn't i mean i had a conversation with a guy today about electric charging infrastructure and he's like you didn't know this but the last time you wrote about that there was a map in there and we've taken that map to every single you know municipality and state and private enterprise in 24 states to argue for, you know, this is why you should allow us to put more charging infrastructure in your state. And I, and I was like, fantastic. I didn't know I did that, but you're welcome. I guess. Yeah, (laughs) I think
0: so. (laughs) Yeah. You're welcome.
1: I'm sorry. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that's just what I'm trying to do every, every week is, is justify uh, my ongoing employment, by enlightening and enriching, hopefully.
0: Yeah, man, I I love that, and uh, you know, uh, thank you for your for your service in that endeavor for sure. Um, it's 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 important to to I mean, it's what I, I feel like we attempt to do a version of here, which is which is essentially like taking a step back, you know, and and looking at these these undercurrents and these things are going on, not just revealing them, but trying to dissect them and and help people at least like you said, at least be aware of them. And it's, it's beautiful when it turns around and someone's like, we used your map with all the people, all the cities. And you're like, okay, great. You know, that's awesome. That's awesome. So thank you for sharing that, uh, first of all, but you know, I I try to think about each time, but right before we start, I mean, I, I always have this sort of underlying idea of like, an urge to I want to have conversations and it's either a specific topic or it's a specific person or it's the perfect sort of conflux of them both. And, you know, for, for this one, it's like because of this show and and we're not just climate change or COVID or whatever, it's sort of just the 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 make or break things is is our is our prism. So I'm I'm heavily invested in a number of ways through the show and our work and personally in this idea of sort of innovation and and what that means and what it requires, right? And, and we all are, whether we know it or not. I mean, again, a- apropos of, of of some of your work, you know, we look at what happens with supply chains right now. It's, it's not just about like, ha- has a- Apple partnered with Gorilla on like better glass so your iPhone doesn't break when you drop it? Innovation also requires looking at these massively complex logistics intersecting so many systems and and ports in Los Angeles versus Texas and supply and demand. And it requires innovative question asking, right? About like if it, look, turns out COVID was testing something else as well and how we come out of these things. Um, but it's also like the GPS we rely on every day and 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 machine learning and electric cars and medicines. And I think like in these moments we are more acutely aware of of this idea of innovation in our life. Um it can be in personal moments like, um, you know, I have had uh my my best friend died of cancer 10 years ago and immediately, you know, you turn into like this, this sort of fake doctor and researching like, oh, these are the best treatments for this and that. And you're trying to get educated on that and and understand like how it's changed or how it doesn't. Or you're like, I haven't upgraded my phone in a few years, but I am a camera nerd. Like, what are the actual upgrades in the hardware, but also the software? Why? What is a, an mRNA vaccine? You know, like, why is it new? Why did it take so long to get here? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's there's all these examples from why our elections still use paper ballots to to uh, electric car battery density. The point is like, we're in this really fascinating moment and the future could possibly look very different from the past, but questions really remain about, and this is what I try to think about all the time, about what does innovation mean in the context of progress? You know, who is doing the innovating, who's funding it, who's participating in the conversations? What does progress mean for a wider variety of folks? Because the opportunities for societal progress are are myriad. So, you know, through all of your work, and, and when you wrote that specific article talking about the long view of innovation, it intrigued me because I want to understand these things for our community, but also to under- help folks understand where we are and, and, and where uh, we're going. So let, let me start with this, which is like, how did you stumble upon this 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 work that was being done to try to, like again, understand what innovation is and how it works and how it's worked, I guess, to date through time? To, to get to the point where you wrote about that.
1: So you're talking specifically about this paper, but well, sorry, this effort that came out of MIT, just to put this in context for yeah, your please. listeners, where they looked at a bunch of empirical data about rates of innovation in mm-hmm. um, various technologies. And that right. is a very squishy thing. It's hard to define. It's very hard to gather data on. Sure. But other researchers have sort of very painstakingly spent years gathering that kind of data on 50 different fields of innovation. Mm -hmm. And then what they did was, you know, it's a classic machine learning thing where they're going to train a model on the data that they have. And then they unleash it on, I think now it's more than tens of thousands of different categories of invention. Mm -hmm. And here they're also leveraging more human intelligence, which is that it turns out that the no surprise, the U.S. Uh, patent Office has this incredibly deep and pretty clever uh, Dewey Decimal-like classification system for inventions. Because mm-hmm. if you're a patent examiner and somebody comes to you with a new widget, you need to know where to search in the patent literature sure. to find prior art, right? Because yeah, if yeah. you need to know it's sufficiently new to grant a patent on that, so. Um, yeah. They took this empirical data on, you know, 50 different inventions over time, you know, one of which is the microchip. And they wanted to examine, you know, how does innovation happen? And what they found, and this is, I mean, it's very controversial on Twitter anyway, where there was this huge debate. After <laughs> you, I published you can these. stop there, but yes. <laughs> but it was an intelligent debate. It wasn't just people shitposting right. each other. And, um, and, and one of their findings was that in, in, in fields of innovation where, you know, there's more than, let's say, like 100 patents on something, mm-hmm. innovation proceeds at a very steady, if not stately pace. And yes, there are individual breakthroughs that speed things up by a few years here or there. But because of the law of compound interest, if you want to ask, like, you know, what is the rate of innovation, you know, that has determined Moore's law, for example, like that has been remarkably steady. And of course, part of that is because companies committed to it. But if you look at other fields, um, you know, energy generation and stuff like that, across all of them, rates of innovation are remarkably steady on the sort of, let's say the decade scale. Mm-hmm. So yes, there are spikes where there are breakthroughs, but overall, Innovation kind of is a really a team sport. And when I say team, I mean like all, you know, seven or whatever it is, eight billion of us are all participating at this point, (laughs) at least over the span of time where they were able to examine it, which I think is about the last 50 to 100 years. The other thing that they found that people got really riled up about was that this idea that, you know, lone geniuses uh, are really responsible for these key breakthroughs, they found this kind of bullshit. Now, there is one exception to that. Every once in a long, long, long time, someone invents a totally new category of invention. Mm-hmm. But that happens way less often than people think because, you know, as somebody who's a student of innovation and the history of invention like yourself knows, every innovation you want to dig for, dig through the history of, there's always a much deeper history than people realize. And it's always like, you know, it's turtles all the way down. It's people standing on the shoulders of giants, standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, et cetera. Like it's, you know, even if you're like talking about the invention of calculus or something like that. Sure. So this kind of busts these two myths of innovation. One is the sort of, you might call it the great man theory of innovation. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, we're all waiting around for an Edison to just kind of, uh, change, trans, be transformative. And then the second being that, you know, we're kind of dependent on breakthroughs to make things change all that quickly. Like really, if you want to look at anything you can measure, like computers getting faster, batteries getting more dense or, or a million other things, it, it, it's kind of happening. It's almost like a, a law of physics or something. It is It is happening at its own pace because it just requires so many different people and so many different contributions Mm -hmm. from so many disparate fields. And that was, of course, their final insight was that the innovations that really advance a field Mm -hmm. almost always come from outside of it. So Mm -hmm. what has driven the progress of Moore's Law? It's really advances in laser technology, right? Because that's what allowed us to shrink the features Mm -hmm. on the chip, which are etched, of course, with a photolithographic process, which requires light and that's true for you know any other field you can name but, so you never can predict where the next breakthrough is going to come from because it's going to come from some totally lateral place and of course that is just to conclude here a really strong argument for just general science funding <laughs> and yeah. that's frankly what the US is really good at we are better at coming up with new innovations than we are at holding on to the industries that they result in. Those tend to get captured by countries that are fast followers and are like, oh, you invented, you know, the microchip, like, great. Like we're going to subsidize the production <laughs> yeah. of that until, you know, we're Taiwan or you invented sure. the solar panel. Like we're going to subsidize the production of that until we are mainland China, sure. you know, or the LCD screen going to um, South Korea on and on and on yeah, is a million examples.
0: Well, it's interesting because on the one hand, it's easy to look at that and go, "Okay, I guess maybe just some places are better suited than others for certain parts of of, of this system, right? Of the pipeline of of turning these innovations into realities, into consumer goods, or, or part of a supply chain, or, or or whatever it might be." At the same time, it's interesting to look at it and go, because, like you said, you know, one of the big takeaways, if I'm if I'm understanding it correctly, is is like you said uh, Moore's law which is about as, as famous as it gets for this sort of thing that that occurs because it was constantly because it adhered to this predictable thing but th- but that happened because companies had their finger on the scale and were dedicated to 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 that performing in that way so it's it's interesting how you know there's this idea of of um you know of like you're saying um, you know everything from GPS or 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 uh mRNA vaccines or whatever it might be that there are so many p- different players who have to contribute to that for that linear line to keep working the way it does right because there isn't just this one like you said this one great man that shows up and and changes the game
1: yeah because you know per- increase in performance of any of these things that you can measure is exponential, right? Like mm-hmm. it's only up into the right linearly if you're charting this on a log scale. right? And so anytime you have exponential growth, that's one of the reasons that these fits and starts of like new innovations just kind of get smoothed out in the end. Because if you're looking at a hundred years of innovation, like it doesn't matter so much if, if a key innovation comes in year five or year 10, once you get to year 80, like, you're, you're still going to get to roughly the same place.
0: Sure. And it's, you know, I think now of, I mean, there's no better way to pit environmentalists against each other than to talk about climate capture, right? Which is every single net zero pledge, which are mostly bullshit, whether it's a country or a company, depends on if you read the fine print, like sucking a hell of a lot of stuff out of the air, whether it's through trees or machines. Uh, and uh, the problem is, is, is we know that it kind of works. But it's it's incredibly expensive, and we're nowhere near scaling it. But you could have said the same thing about uh, solar panels. You know, not too long ago. It's just that we decided to scale those and innovate on them, and now it. You know, you find the most. Uh, you know, the most optimistic uh, IEA projection from the last ten years and the real price of solar panels or batteries. Uh, you know, the just the cost alone. Makes them look ridiculous, right? Makes them look incredibly conservative, and that's not to say that uh, innovation is guaranteed or that scale is guaranteed uh, or this thing that we need to do for humanity is guaranteed. But it does imply that it's very difficult. It's it's hard to take the conversation seriously when someone's like, "It doesn't work. It's too expensive," without acknowledging the history of how these things and innovation actually. Right, and proceed. let's
1: project into the future and, and let's apply one of the principles that you know this research discovered. Key innovations come from outside mm-hmm. of the fields that they impact most. Mm-hmm. So, hypothetical for you. Please. Y- y- you know, like, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to Sam Altman, because, which is not a thing that normally happens, right? Co-founder of Y Combinator. I mean, I haven't mm-hmm. talked to him in six years. The only reason he wanted to talk was He wants to talk about the 375 million he just put into this company, which has a totally novel way of doing fusion energy. So basically they claim that something the size of shipping container, it's this totally novel application, uh, sorry, mechanism could generate, I think 50 megawatts of power and that they could get us down to like uh, an electricity cost of one cent per kilowatt hour. So Let's say this works, or one of the other fusion startups that are out there, mm-hmm. and, and, and we get tons of, if not free energy, like nearly free energy, the original promise of nuclear power, which did not work out because the waste is a problem and because the scale is too big. Sure, sure. Then what if we then are able to increase electricity production on the face of planet Earth by 10x or
0: right.
1: 100x or 1,000x? without generating additional emissions then carbon capture starts to make sense then electrifying literally every activity that we have so we Mm -hmm. can get to actually zero emissions starts to make sense and now what do we do in the meantime with all of the warming that's still loaded in the atmosphere frankly i'm a little bit bored by some of the conversations around geoengineering because I've been covering this for like 15 years, or I've been yeah. paying attention to it for at least that long, and no one has proposed anything new that I know of beyond, you know, the sulfate aerosols high in the atmosphere, right. maybe cloud seeding, and then every once in a while you'll get somebody who'll mention like the sunshade at a mm-hmm. Lagrange point or something, which is my favorite because you don't uh, cause a bunch of acid rain yeah. or anything else. Like, right? Like, I mean, honestly, you, you can like, turn if, it if off if a Yeah, look, if we're going to start mining asteroids within the next 50 years, I don't see why we can't just, like, put some big sunglasses on Earth uh, while we're drawing down all the extra carbon we put in the atmosphere. Sure. Or whatever. The other thing is, we don't know what the future is. Maybe we decide, oh, shit, we'd rather spend that money on migrating a few billion people and just living on planet Earth in a different way. Desalination. Which is not to be a Pollyanna at all, because I think that... The immediate future is extremely dire for the like two or three billion human beings on Earth who basically are eating from a food shed, which is only as far as like an ox-drawn cart yeah. can travel. Um, like those people are truly in a in a dire situation. And I don't want to make light of that. But if you're going to go fifty or hundred years from now, there's so much innovation going on now that it is extraordinarily difficult to. Project like where we'll be and what we'll be relying on at that
0: point in time. Hey, it's Quinn. I'll make this quick. Sifting through the news is a slog. Finding the signal and the noise, it's damn near impossible. And if you do, what can you even do about it? I'll tell you what you can do. Literally, every week, I'll tell you the most impactful thing you can do. In just 10 minutes a week, you can get smarter feel better, and make radical change for yourself, your family, your investments, your company, and for the world. Join tens of thousands of other leaders and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at newsletter.importantnotimportant.com. Get the most vital science news, exclusive analysis, and action steps for free. That's newsletter.importantnotimportant.com or just click the link right in your show notes to the show. Well, I loved this quote, and I jotted it down, and it is this kind of perfect. One of the things in, in, in when you wrote the article, and, and we'll put that in the show notes and everything, you know, I get these incoming calls again, and, and I try to turn it into the writing of the show, but I do a lot of one-on-one stuff. People, especially since COVID, like, oh, what's happening? What the hell is going to happen? Like, where are we going? Yada, yada. My answer is usually like, I have no idea, man. But you wrote, one of the conclusions of this group of academics is that attempts to predict the exact nature of the next technological advance are doomed to fail, but their research could help us understand how quickly existing technologies are getting better. And I think that's key, right? Because, you know, like you were saying, for so many of these things, if you really try and look at them in an honest way, it is turtles all the way down, right? It's, it's so rare. I mean, you know, we can talk about fusion all day, right? (laughs) That stuff, but, but it is turtles all the way down. And that's important to understand as we're looking at what are the things we need to do over the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, if we're going to put some benchmarks on some of these net zero pledges, or as far as, um, discovering new antibiotics, right? Like you thought thought COVID was bad. Like, let me, let's, we can talk about that. Um, You know, it it is important to understand that a lot of these existing technologies are here because we've scaled them over because they're ready to be built upon. I wonder, do you have any sort of either uh, rote or even out of the box examples of places where existing technologies are getting better, going to keep getting better and in sort of that predictable way? Out-of-the-box examples, you say? Yeah, I mean, it, either way, like, let's, let's sort of put some names on those things so we can understand how those compare to maybe some of the other outside ideas. Well,
1: I mean, I'll just give you one that's top of mind because I just started reading a book on it. You know, a lot has been made of the potential of so-called, you know, synthetic biology and, mm-hmm. you know, everything from, uh, you know, genetically modified organisms that, you know, give us more robust food supply to, you know, gene drives that Mm -hmm. make mosquitoes less likely to reproduce, which is going to be super important in a warmer weather world. Yeah. We just
0: had a conversation about that uh, with a guy in San Diego who, uh, I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware or or where you live, but Los Angeles went from like, no bugs move here to it's real bad. Um, And that stuff is going to be great. And a lot of tropical
1: diseases that, people in the United States are not used to coping with or on their way. It's not great. Yeah. So I think that this is an area where a tremendous amount is and can happen. Um, I think that it is held back by a couple of things. One is we all have some squeamishness about it, but two is I think we're squeamish about it partly because there hasn't been very good governance on it. And so, you know, like if the only examples you can point to are like, uh, you know, seed companies making it impossible for farmers to do seed saving and getting locked into like a, an indentured servitude relationship with Monsanto or whoever, because, you know, their um, seeds are are sterile after the first time they plant them. Like, that's just not like a good precedent for like, what is the potential GMOs versus let's put some genes in this rice So a billion people in Bangladesh and South Asia don't starve to death. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is just, as we saw with the mRNA vaccine, right? Which is like one of those great examples of an overnight success that was 20 years in the making. Sure. Thank God all of that research was happening before this pandemic hit us. There is so much incredible science loaded in the pipeline, in the biotech pipeline, because you know, I mean, I think we're, we live in an age of, of digital and physical and silicon technology, and we're used to manipulating those things, but
0: mm-hmm. I think
1: it's not well appreciated that like we now and more and more have this incredible power to manipulate the other type of, you know, meat based <laughs> robots and technology that's all around us. Right. Like, I mean, it's, it, it drives me up the wall and people are like, Oh, I'm so excited for nanotech. I'm like, you are nanotech. Yeah. You're surrounded by nanotech. <laughs> There's nanotech everywhere. Everywhere, like go down to your local university and ask them what's going on in any of their molecular biology labs. Yeah. They're all nanotechnologists. You don't have to wait around for some mystical little silicon bot uh, to do this stuff for you. Like we can do this yeah. now. We have the technology. Like we have four billion years of life evolving it for us, and all we have to do is get on the choo-choo train and like just right. ride it. So, I think all that synthetic biology stuff is going to be really, really incredible. And I think people miss it, frankly, because we're so obsessed with looking at our devices and our screens and thinking about the internet and having our Twitter feeds dominated by the likes of, you know, Elon Musk and everybody else who's getting venture capital to like build out that kind of technology that we Mm -hmm. just miss all of this other squishier, more complicated stuff.
0: Sure. And, and, and I do. I. I. And this is again the goal of these. I think I've, we've actually had two mosquito conversations because one, uh, it's the idea of um, you know, CRISPR is one thing, genetic manipulation is another. Like gene drives, or, or however you want to phrase them. Like that's a conversation that needs to be had. It needs to be an inclusive, cooperative conversation. Uh, just like the idea of using CRISPR to eliminate a disease, right? Because you have. Uh, you need to make sure these conversations include people who are currently affected by it or or who are uh, might inherit a, a specific gene, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they are the stakeholders in these things. It's it, The point is, like, the more these conversations we can have. But I also wonder, you know, I'm a big fan of um, uh, Mariana Mazzucato's work. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. Uh, she's fantastic. And it's the idea of, like, this mission-oriented Approach, and she's got a couple of great books and and such on it. Um, uh, to 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 brutally and greatly simplify just one part of it, it's it's effectively using the moon landing as an example, right? Okay, how do we reverse engineer? Like, goal: man on moon. Uh, it's a it's a black or white outcome, right? Um, so now you measure all of your people and your systems and your agreements and your processes and your milestones against. That and you build truly cooperative, measurable conversations and processes. And, and I think with everything you know we're talking about here, the need to fully decarbonize, right? Um, uh, biotech, um, the opportunity now with mRNA to eradicate possibly like HIV or, or malaria, right? Uh, universal flu vaccines, whatever. To to innovative way to solid state batteries, uh, whatever it is. Um, more air conditioning with less of a power draw. This is food waste. I just wonder if, like you're saying, we've got all this incredible stuff floating around us. We're so excited about like what bullshit like VC money is going into hard silicon. I wonder if incorporating methodologies like these, whether it's at the government level or corporate level or whatever it might be, into the greater puzzle could be more helpful. Because like you said, it's so funny, like every time we interview a scientist, one of their specific action steps that we ask for, they're always like, tell your Congress people to just vote for more basic science funding. Because you're right, like that opens up everything. But I also wonder if this mission-oriented approach can be helpful. I agree that being goal-oriented is
1: key, right? And I mean, I would point out that that while the U.S., you know, a major funder of basic research in the United States is the Department of Defense, and what you just described is, is very close to the model for DARPA. Sure. And DARPA gets results. So yeah. I agree. Like if you have a very particular goal, right? I mean, sometimes it's it's this is why, you know, businesses do so much, you know, if not innovation, at least commercialization in the US is because, you know, like they're founded by these quirky people who like wake up one day and they're like, hey, I really want to reduce the cost of getting... Uh, satellites to space by a factor of a hundred or, you know, I mean, I could name, you know, a thousand companies that I've covered over the years and that's great. But yeah, for the basic science, like, you know, frankly, I think DARPA does a great job of that. That's the reason that ARPA, right. Which is the, the, Mm -hmm. the, the energy version of that was sort of modeled on that as well. Mm. Like I think that's great. And then I think you have tons of investors now who, you know, have more money than anything because there's just so much sloshing around who are who are ready to kind of make these risky bets as well like I mean that's why you, like I mentioned you know Sam Altman's like I'm going to put $375 million into one startup right. that's huge right that's a yeah. super high risk thing for a single investor mm-hmm. to do um, so yeah I agree like it, it, it should be sort of goal oriented in that way
0: but I also but, you know basic
1: science also kind of gets us the grist that
0: yeah
1: it can be transformed sure, and it that. doesn't
0: need to be black or white by any sense, but I you know there is like you're saying DARPA does give results it has forever. I mean half the things in my office right now like have roots in DARPA turtles all the way down, no question, um, and you can try to fight against that or try to fight against we didn't need the space shuttles. it's like well, now you have Uber, so you're welcome, you know um so it's it's interesting to me because. It doesn't have to be black or white, but we have these. And I often thought of like, again, I went to like a liberal arts college where there's like nine people in a class and you just ask a bunch of questions. But and, you know, higher education has certainly has its pros and cons these days. But I often thought about this idea of like, how do we reframe some college majors as instead of just like political science or religion or whatever into like, you know water scarcity and then like what are all the different elements that you can that you need to take to go into that like identifying these larger societal problems again whether it's like Jimmy Carter chasing and he's like I'm going to eradicate guinea worms right or we're looking at malaria and you know you can pay 2 bucks and it saves a life in bed nets and you've got these highly effective things and they're great but you know we've got the basic science on one hand and now how do we apply this mission philosophy to identify a, a societal thing and just go after it and and the reason I as much as it excites me when I think about how we're gonna do that with decarbonization, which is this humanity wide goal, is we had a humanity-wide goal this year, which was to inoculate the entire population of the planet. And we're kind of not doing that. Um, you know, there's we've been stuck at four billion people unvaccinated for a couple months now. And that I guess gets into less about the technological innovation and more about humanity's innate instincts to go, you know, what does investment really mean? And how are we going to apply it? And who, who to go to the top, like, who benefits from innovation? Like, what does progress really mean? And if, like, if we couldn't pass this specific test, like, how are we going to apply that to some of these other things?
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, let's be clear, like, you know, religion, philosophy, etc., are cognitive technologies. And... I mean, good luck trying to change human nature, but we are flexible as a species. I do think that we could probably spend a lot more time thinking about how do we build better cognitive technologies and ways to organize ourselves. You know, I mean, I feel like during the Obama years, there was a little bit of that where people were like, oh, have you heard that behavioral economists have this whole concept of like nudging people into doing the right thing? And, like, that's fine, but, like, you know, we are still the same people who, you know, not so long ago were wearing animal pelts and, Mm -hmm. you know, making human and animal sacrifices on the solstice. Like, we are still very much ideologically driven beings, and, you know, there's always a war for ideas going on, and um, probably we need more people willing to... um, Kind of fight that battle in a in a conscientious way,
0: yeah, who knows, but it's so funny you make such a good point like and this ties back to like innovation and 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 four billion years of evidence and and this and that because like you know the dawn of the industrial age really not so long ago, you know it's literally like peaky blinders, and we have both made incredible advances in innovations along that time scale. we fucked the place up pretty good along the way there's been some enormous trade-offs but it's It's interesting because you're you know when you say like uh, you know we're we' we we're, we're not so far off from animal pellets, like chronologically we're really not, and so you empathize a little bit with these primal instincts and and programming that we have to act a certain way and protect ourselves and our family and our investments or whatever it might be uh, to hoard life saving vaccines during a pandemic, whatever it might be, but we are on the cusp of 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 you know, the receipts coming due for, for a lot of these choices we've made. And so it does require, uh, you know, less nudging at times and more, you know, again, you, you hate to throw the word regulation out there uh, yeah. because it'll just piss people off. But we, we have to make some better choices. And well, I, by the way, I think that that's a complete myth.
1: People love regulation. I don't care who you are. Like there's like 10 percent of the political constituency of the world is actually a diehard libertarian but like liberal conservative i don't care what your political orientation is they all love regulation it's just they can't agree on what direction they want to regulate things in and that's why bipartisanship is so hard but to get back to the earlier point you're making like yeah like we're more sophisticated than ever there was this thing that happened called the enlightenment it can feel some days like we're backsliding from that but i do think that we do need more people kind of articulating new sets of values about how we sort of conduct ourselves as global citizens and how we use all this power and this technology in, you know, ways that kind of better our lot. And um, you know, maybe I'm an idealist, but like I, I still think that like rationality can can help uh, orchestrate that, if not actually like organize people. Like I, I as much as um, I get annoyed by his antics, like I think one of the really brilliant things about Elon Musk is that like he is kind of constantly just like trolling the world into making the things happen that he wants. I mean he's a little mm-hmm. bit like Donald Trump in that way. He's also sure. just kind of a, an amazing meme lord right. and sort of manipulator of people's ideologies, but um you know, we're not going to like uh I don't think we're going to c- kind of, you know, calmly and rationally um convince people to do the things that are required to like make life persist on this planet in the face of climate change. Like I think it's going to be uh, a lot messier and it's going to require a lot more sloganeering.
0: For sure, uh, we desperately need better and more sloganeering. There's no doubt. We've we've been pretty bad at that for a while. I mean, uh, but like you said, I mean, there there is a reason folks like Donald Trump and Elon Musk um, for for all their very many pros and cons. Like, h- how many? corporate and government leaders throughout history have basically been either one of those, but haven't had fucking Twitter, you know, haven't. And, and this is like the, the super fun. Yeah, side what, would, uh, what, would, what would Rockefeller do if he'd had Twitter or Vanderbilt <laughs> right. I mean, for that matter? It's, it's the ultimate, like don't meet your heroes kind of thing. You know, it's uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm from Virginia. I'm from colonial Williamsburg. Like, you know, you can, you can idolize like some of these things as much as you want, but it turns out like most of these guys, like not great, but complicated. Like they, they did some great things and that's why, you know, focusing on less on people and more on on ideas and what progress means to more people is probably helpful. Um, yeah, what if
1: Alexander Hamilton had had Twitter, right? Would we have gotten the Federalist Papers or would he have just like yeah. whipped
0: up people on social media? Right, no, 100%. I mean, there was a point where he was like, I don't know, maybe we should have a king. Like the, yeah, we can we can dig into that. Like it's it's uh they're they're complicated complicated dudes, but it also makes me think of like coming back to this like the, the nullify uh, nullifying of, of sort of the the great man theory through this research is like, and all this money floating around, like we were, we were saying, and like how that could be re- repurposed. Like, I wondered, you know, when you're when you're a VC or an angel investor or whatever, a corporate VC looking, and there's sort of these standard boxes you try to check when you're deciding if you're going to make an investment, right? It's like, is there, how big is the market? Does this person have market fit? Is there a, is there a product at all? Is this a founder with with passion who gets it yada yada, and I just wonder like how much do these quote unquote like general founders actually not have as much of an impact as your standard investors might really think because it seems like through the research that it's going to keep going no matter what, maybe slightly different in smaller scales like along the way but it's, you know, it's like looking at California's collection of 90 degree days every year. It's you've got ups and downs, but over time it's like this.
1: Sure. But I mean, if if innovation is comprised of many many people working together and making new breakthroughs on their own and building new companies, you know, it's the the impact is cumulative. So you should sure. still be a founder, you should still be an innovator, you should still be an investor. Because it is the aggregate of all of that activity that ultimately makes a difference. The bad news is nobody gets to save the world. The good news is everyone gets to save the world a little bit. So I think it's a shift of of mindset. Like, you know, we're all raised on like a certain type of you know, Western individualism and superhero movies and all that bullshit. And like, you just have to kind of get a little more zen about it and be like, I am a tiny cog in a giant machine but I better perform my role it's more of a collectivist mindset but I just think that's actually how civilization
0: works hey everyone it's Quinn have you ever looked around your job and thought what are we even doing here if you've ever wanted to take your skills to more impactful work to do world changing work let me tell you now's the time With just one click, you can find a job that does that work at importantjobs.com. Important jobs is for journalists, students, engineers, software developers, accountants, designers, nurses, research assistants, people who want to work in clean energy, consumer products, health tech, agriculture, and artificial intelligence. And if you work for a company or organization already doing that work, you can list your open roles at Important Jobs for competitive rates and get them in front of our entire community. Reinvigorate your career on the front lines of the future at importantjobs.com. Back to the show. One of my biggest frustrations with the uh, the, the the movement to slow the climate crisis is, is just the uh, Overwhelming prevalence of, of gatekeepers. And I understand and empathize with people who've like been doing this for a long time, the OGs who are like, we need to do this, this, and this, and nothing else. The world has changed. We haven't done those things for the most part. We've done some things. Uh, you know, Robinson Meyer wrote about the, the green vortex that's been kind of working in the background. There's other things we need to do, but there's other things that are newly available. But, you know, I think about like you were saying, like, everyone has to do their little bit. It's not just you know, one of the big arguments is like, it's not personal actions. It's only systemic shit that matters. And other people are got Yeah, like, I got to
1: cut you off because I've been thinking about this for a decade. And no, I think please. we're actually at a turning point. I think that entire debate is moot. You can just put it in a pine box and and toss I mean, it off your ship into the ocean. I couldn't and be here's more excited. Why. Here's why. The, the things that are actually going to make a difference so like saving the planet are yeah. already out of the hands of all those gatekeepers and all those environmentalists. So yeah. all the innovations that are coming... All the investment, that is in the hands of people like the CEO of Ford Motor Company, who's like, you know what, I'm finally going to commit to getting yeah. Americans to buy you know, electric trucks. It's in the hands of the people who are building out the charging infrastructure. It's in the hands of the investors who are like kind of arm wrestling the US into getting more offshore wind. It's sure. in the hands of the innovators who are building, you know, nuclear fusion. Like while all those people are having debates on social media and Twitter and gatekeeping each other. I'm fine with that because, like, good, that, go fight amongst yourselves, keep each other busy, and just, like, stay out of the way while the grown-ups do the actual work. Now, that's a very dismissive way to phrase it. But what I mean is there are different phases in the transition between a social movement and a full civilization-wide, like, technological movement. Sure. You need all of these, like, dyed-in-the-wool people who have been, you know, very Cassandra style, ringing the alarm bells about climate change and everything else for the longest time to get the initial ball rolling of innovation and incentives. And let's not forget that like, you know, activists have done amazing things like gotten Nixon of all presidents to create the EPA clean water act is one of the best things that's ever happened in this country. People don't even know it because rivers aren't catching fire anymore. And we just get to take that for granted. But that was a thing that happened before the clean water act. And, you know, or all of the incentives for electric cars and all the big loans that came out of the government, which allowed a company like Tesla to exist in the first place. Tesla wouldn't exist if they hadn't gotten hundreds of millions of dollars in federal loans. Nor would all of these companies, car companies, be working so hard on rolling out electric vehicles if California and then federal car emission standards weren't just twisting the screws more and more to the point where they looked at their fleets and they're like, we cannot continue to sell vehicles unless a significant portion and eventually all of them are electric because there's no other way to meet these emission standards. We can't do it with internal combustion engines. And now you have these promises that are being made at COP and Glasgow and who knows if those will amount to anything. But we're already at the point where the most valuable energy company in the world is in Spain and it's a renewable energy company. And ExxonMobil is shrinking and saying, we're gonna get into the carbon capture and storage business. All of that started initially because of all these gatekeeping environmentalists. But yeah. at this point, they can just go like whatever, pet their comfort animals and eat their fake meat and everyone else, the uh, rest of the society, whether they will admit it or not, is adopting their ideology. They won. They won. Fake right. meat is at Burger King now. Yeah. You can buy an electric F-150 yeah. today. You can They're- get on the waiting list. There's a million other things that are happening because people are like, "Oh shit, we can make money at this, and look, right. I know a lot of people are waiting for the socialist revolution, but until that happens, the engines of capital are like groaning into action, and trillions of dollars of capital is being deployed to make this happen. whatever all those other gatekeepers want to say about it
0: yeah, and I do i look i I, I fully agree like the the momentum is there like you can you can now buy. I mean, literally in the last, like, 18 months, like, seven different versions of plant-based chicken nuggets that are fucking fantastic. Like, how long have I been waiting for that? That's great. Like, I, I dropped me 10 years ago, and it was it was awful. It was truly awful. And now it's just like, yeah, they're really great. And I eat so many of them because my kids yeah, are really kudos obnoxious. Yeah, for being an
1: early adopter because you're the one who, told, who showed those companies there is an audience for this. Sure. And now your belief will spread, not because you convinced anybody else to believe as you believe, but because it's available and it's affordable, and it's delicious.
0: Yeah, and that's what matters. I mean, I do empathize with, you know, again, we we I sort of reframed how we look at things here as as we call it science for people who give a shit about a year and a half ago, because there's just more people who do, everyday people, for a huge variety of reasons. Like, you have already been directly touched by COVID or climate or whatever it might be, or you're invested in clean energy, whatever it is. So we're the home for that shit. But there are so many people, as much as like, the the levers have been pulled and so many of these things are happening because of the long time OGs and gatekeepers have been doing it. Like, thank you. You can you can just enjoy this now. Yes, we need to move faster, and yes, we need to do more. And yes, there's like predatory delay from like the last of the fucking oil and coal barons who are throwing their last money at lobbying. But- right. Like Manchin literally owns
1: a, a coal company in West Virginia and is and is blocking the next right. bill that we're supposed to get. Right. Which is supposed to be biden 's big climate action bill, like right. there is substantial irony and tragedy in that, yes hundred percent like,
0: those kinds those are the gatekeepers you got to oh yeah worry no about. for sure that's and that's the thing is like we have to overcome those, but i do want I do empathize and like want to constructively help those people who are new to this thing who are just like, what the fuck do I do and it 's hard to say like the wheels are in motion. Like it's happening. Like you just, you know, enjoy your chicken, your fake chicken nuggets. You know, it's like, they, they do want to have a role in this thing and they do want to participate. And a lot of them will become founders or academics or fucking journalists or writers or designers. And my answer usually when people are like, what can I do is, well, you know, Chris, like, what can you do? Like, what are, what are, what are your passions? What are your skills? What are those things? Cause we do need those things and you do need them on like the local level, like Los Angeles, finally voted i mean fucking finally voted two weeks ago to to put a buffer in between new oil drills and schools and houses and you're like are you fuck? like we just did that but also it's like only the new ones there are so many that are still going like literally next to like black kids schools in los angeles they have horrible asthma like they don't sleep at night it's hotter yada yada and so i do think those sort of again to use the word like collective actions matter because like your personal actions like don't really do shit on the system level, except to make you feel a little better, it is the actions that, like, will build momentum to add up to building those buffers, to buying more fucking Teslas, which now makes Ford go, like, well, I guess, alright, I guess we'll make an F-150, and also, by the way, like, make it seemingly awesome, and now you've got tons of pre-orders, like, that shit does matter, so I am interested in getting this new generation to, you know, use the most leveraged ways to affect those fixes, whether they're societal, technological, or or whatever it might
1: Um, Yeah, and by the way, the number—the best way to get leverage is to be incredibly focused and not overly ambitious. I think that we live in a time where we're sort of saturated by media and calls to pay attention to this issue or that issue or whatever else. But the moment when we sort of shut out the ninety-nine percent of calls for our attention, except for the one thing that we are truly, really passionate about and feel like we can make a difference in terms of that's when you gain real power yeah because whatever that issue is doesn't matter how narrow it is i'll give you one quick example there's i'm actually wearing a shirt right now you probably can't see it but it's glenda the Goodwitch. this is a shirt this is a fundraiser and it is for a trash wheel and most people don't know what a trash wheel is because it's a local thing i live in the mid-atlantic on the chesapeake there was this one eccentric inventor and uh there's actually a great like uh I think CNET documentary about him. And he just, he was like, oh, there's all this trash flowing into the Baltimore's Inner Harbor. How can I deal with this? He's not especially technically skilled, but he is very stubborn. And he invented this thing that it's powered by like, uh, sorry, currents and uh, solar power that uses renewable energy. It sits at the mouth of all these rivers that go into the various harbors around here. And it just literally has a conveyor belt that just sucks up trash and dumps them into these big dumpsters, which are then empty periodically. And these things have intercepted, I think over their past five years, now there's four of them, Mm -hmm. millions of pounds of trash to the point where you can like walk around my part of the Chesapeake now, and there's noticeably less trash. And it was this one dude's sort of weird tilting at windmills 20 year quest. Right. But he was focused enough to make it happen and then pair with a, an organization that like gave him the grants. And this is not like radical technology. It's just right. that this guy was like, let's take what we have and imply, apply it intelligently to this problem. And now people all over the world, cities all over the world are like, will you build us a trash wheel and we'll put it here in like Ecuador and this and that and things. And, right. and it's like, wow, like we have this huge problem with ocean trash. This guy came up with a workable solution. It's mechanically not complicated. That's one of its virtues. But he had that focus. And now, you know, this guy could not single-handedly, but sort of through his actions, eventually like eliminate like the Texas-sized Pacific garbage patch. Right. You know, once all that stuff finally sinks. So I could give you a hundred examples like this because I talk to people like this all day long. But when someone focuses on whatever issue they care about, whether it's... You know, you know, gender equity or racial equity or education or, you know, women's access to adequate health care or, you know, any of these technological things we're talking about. People can make a huge difference because most of us are just kind of trying to survive. Yeah. And if we care about things at all, As humans, I think our great weaknesses, we feel this incredibly strong drive to keep up appearances and be like, well, I know the correct language to use in this social context, so I can appear to be enlightened. But it's like, cool, but like, you know, what have you actually done for the disempowered group whom you are trying to not offend with your choice of words in this moment? I feel like most people just spend most of their time, even if they care about this stuff, just trying to maintain appearances instead of trying to do something of substance.
0: No, fully. And I empathize, like, at any given time, I can probably name, and and forgetting, like, all of this work, like, I probably know, like, two friends of friends with like a fucking GoFundMe for medical bills, like we're all being pulled in 10,000 different directions because like so many of these systems are fucked. So I do empathize with this like idea of like, what can I do, I'm supposed to do everything. And being scattered, I can tell you day to day, like with three kids, It's not helpful. You don't get shit done. Focus like really does matter. And the good news is like when I say to people like, okay, so Chris, like what can you do? What are your skills, your interests, your passions, or what did you like in seventh grade science? That matters because also there's already incredible people in groups who are doing that one specific thing and you can either fucking donate to them or volunteer with them or join them, whatever it is and use that leverage because they already probably know some of these best practices and ways to get in there. But like you said, like the trash wheel, I mean, the news last week, there's a young uh, black woman who's now, I think uh, in high school, but she's in college now, you know, she used like beets to develop sutures that change colors when they're infected. Cause like 30% of deliveries in, in 88 African countries, uh, maternal deliveries uh, end up being infected. And you're like fucking beats. Like that's, that's it. But like, you just never know. She's not going to scale that. But there are so many organizations that are like, oh my, wait a minute. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> like, holy shit. And that's that little point that matters because there are people that care. There are people that are really focused on those things. And it does matter. I mean, this is the opportunity of having so much shit that we need to fix and that we can fix because of the time and everything that's gone into these innovations uh, is that you can apply yourself in 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 a huge variety of ways. But like you said, sort of, Picking those things, making sure they're measurable and that they matter and that you give a shit about them is what's going to make you actually have some application to your, your whether it's your fury or your passion.
1: Right. And, 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 I, and, and you know, and sometimes that's a completely abstract thing. So, I mean, I, I just listened to uh, an interview with, um, I think her name is Lily Singh. And she is, you know, a self-described creator. She's a creator and a comedian on YouTube. And like, you know, she's not going to solve world hunger, but what animates her is she's like, I grew up watching movies and TV where there was nobody who looked like me. And now people come up to me all the time and they're like, my little sibling thinks it's totally normal that you're famous and you're doing movies and all this other stuff as a result of her YouTube fame. Yeah. And now I feel like, you know, I'm no longer invisible. So, you know, bully for her, like her. Her yeah. thing that she decided to focus on that animated her was representation, and her vehicle was becoming a creator. It, it, I think it's easy to like be like, oh, you know, people who are just making videos all day long for YouTube—that's frivolous. Like, what's the point? But no, she's actually made a big impact by her own account.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, the flip side of that is like America has, uh, for all the incredible—you know—if you look at sort of the the top 10 25 whatever companies on the S&P or Nasdaq or whatever it might be or uh, i mean how many of them are headed up or were founded by immigrants and like but for whatever reason like we've stopped doing as many of those those green cards and the and the research and you're just like but but it's so important for people to see those people whether they're running youtube videos or or whatever it might be you know it 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 does matter so if that's your thing then 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 that's great again like find your thing that you can do and do well and and apply it and It'll matter. I want to get you out of here. Uh, I'm going to ask you one question. We ask everybody, Chris. For, I mean, first of all, thank you for your your time and your expertise. I feel like I, this could be like a four hour conversation. Um, but what is a book uh, you've read this year? Can't say your own that has opened your mind to something you hadn't considered before, or has actually changed your thinking in some way? And we've got you know 100 and plus books up on a bookshop list, and we'll throw it on there.
1: So actually, the book that I just there's a bunch. Because I'm an avid reader, but yeah, one that I'm really, really loving that I feel like has not gotten nearly enough attention, uh, I think because it just came out, but, but this one I think is a sleeper. hit. I'm predicting this is going to be one of the most influential books of the next 10 years. So you heard it here first. Please. It's uh, by an academic and also gifted writer named Beth Shapiro. Okay. And it's called Life As We Made It. And here's what's unique about this book. She is an expert in ancient DNA, okay, who successfully articulates the following thesis: uh-huh. We should get elbow deep in doing everything we can with biotech to, you know preserve life on Earth, our own and that of the many species that we now have the power to manipulate, because. There's really no such thing as nature, because we've been manipulating it for tens of thousands of years. And as an ancient DNA specialist, she has the receipts to prove it. So she takes you on this wild journey from like 100,000 years ago to, you know potentially a thousand years in the future. And she totally sticks the landing, and, and uh, you know, she's not just some random, know-nothing journalist like me. Like, she's been studying this for decades. So this is the best introduction to, and I think almost like a rallying cry for, you know, our future on Earth as, you know, sort of masters of synthetic biology. It'll change your mind. This book will change your mind no matter what your belief systems are, because there's so many kind of unorthodox conclusions in it that she really buttresses quite well.
0: That's amazing. I'll throw it on the list. I will immediately read it and probably email her to come on the show right after. Um, <laughs> she would a, be a great guest, I'm sure. But, but that's amazing. I mean, it, look. Of course, things can be. You don't have to go too far down the Monsanto like Wikipedia hole to to see that like things can be done in a in a in a negligent, poor slash worse way than than they should be done uh, in a huge variety of ways. But. It's sure. Awesome. I mean, you
1: can use nuclear power to eradicate a city or you can use it to create carbon free energy. It's up to sure. you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we look, we're humans like we're going to fuck it up, but we can also do incredible things. And, you know, it's 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 like how I feel when we talk about, uh, you know, I, I'll I'll never buy GMO foods. It's like, I hate to break it to you, but like corn didn't used to look like this. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. It, That's one of her first examples. It's a great example. Yeah, it didn't used to look like this. Like vegetables used to be, you know, this and that. It's like, this is, sorry, it's been happening this entire time. That's like, that's just what we do. And that's what we've done. And also that's why we have like rice that's more available to way more people than used to be. But the point is, uh, I'm interested and I'm going to dig into it. And I'm very excited. It has eight Amazon reviews. So we're going to bump that up. Yeah. Uh, That's very exciting. Well, listen, man, I, I can't thank you enough for your time today. This has been uh, fantastic. We might have to do another one at some point. But uh, thank you for all your work you do. Can you give a shout-out to where folks can find you online, but also at the journal and such? Yeah, I mean, just go to MIMS.club. It's my,
1: that's amazing. It's my universal. Hold on. <laughs> that's that's my redirect. I just, just, it always. I think right now it redirects to my book. <laughs> mims.club oh, uh, can we
0: give a real I plug to, for your book too because we touched yeah, on so it a little bit my book bit, is but.
1: called Arriving Today from Factory to Front Door why everything has changed about how and what we buy you know, it's about e-commerce, it's about supply chains it's also about automation and the present and future of work
0: mm-hmm. so if
1: you're interested in any of those topics you know, hopefully the uh, price to the book is worth, worth it for you because it's, it's a bunch of different chapters on all these different subjects
0: and we'll definitely, we'll put that in the show notes and on the book club list as well. And and I mean, again, folks, it's like how we were all trapped in our living rooms for a year. If you didn't think science was like affecting your life, it does. And if you didn't think, you know, these supply chain issues are affecting your life, like try ordering your Christmas presents later than like next week. And you'll discover that you should probably read Chris's book. That's awesome. Mims.club is just, God damn it. That's great. Uh, that's really great. So, uh, we will have everybody follow you and, and hound you and, and check everything out. So, uh, thank you for your time, man. I really, really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do it again sometime soon. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in.